something's happening and the talent can't travel. I said, um, sure, that's cool. I still got the grand opening. I still got the bands coming. I still got all my friends and family coming all throughout that week. Everything started falling. I mean, in one week's time, every catering I had booked through the end of the year was canceling. Christopher Prieto has learned how to turn barbecue into art. And I am not exaggerating when I use the word art, but it didn't come easy. And it came by overcoming failure and handling difficulties. On this episode of Unbeatable, you're gonna hear from the guy I consider to be the greatest barbecuer on the planet who opened a restaurant in the middle of COVID and five years worth of planning disintegrated the week that the doors were supposed to open. I am super excited to introduce you to Christopher Prieto on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life. You're listening to Unbeatable with Jeff Strucker. I am so excited to have my friend dial in all the way from North Carolina. Christopher, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Unbeatable. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Hey, for the guys and gals that are listening right now, you don't get a chance to see what he's wearing. If you're watching this broadcast on YouTube or on social media, he's got the high quality barbecue nerd shirt going on right now because this guy is the barbecue nerd of all barbecue nerds. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I, I get that from a time or two. Actually, I was given the name barbecue nerd because every time I spoke, it was beyond cooking. Yeah. It was down to a science. Yeah. And uh, one person said, you know, you're such a barbecue nerd. And I was like, yeah, I'm, nerds are cool. I'm going to claim that and put it on a t-shirt. That's what yeah, you said, right? That's exactly right. And actually it kind of spread. A lot of people started calling me the barbecue nerd. And then the, just, you know, the entrepreneur in me was like, Hey, own it. Yeah. You know, usually nerds are the ones that you don't want to be. But in this case, Uh, I want to be the nerdiest nerd ever. I don't think people that are, uh, if you're familiar with the Food Channel and if you've seen some of the cooking shows, you have seen Christopher Prieto on those shows, but maybe people don't recognize you because they don't watch the Food Network. I want them to know just how much of a barbecue nerd you are. So let's talk about growing up in the barbecue epicenter of the universe in Texas. And how did you get started uh, on around a grill um, before we get to where you at and what you're doing today? By the way, for everybody who's listening, this guy makes the best barbecue in America. No, I'm just going to say the best barbecue in the world. It's in Nightdale, Nightdale, North Carolina, and you won't find it better anywhere else than Christopher's restaurant called Prime Barbecue. But how did that whole thing get started for you back in Texas? Well, thank you. Thank you for that introduction, Jeff. Uh, We just try to cook the best we can. And uh, luckily, we've made so many mistakes that we have now started to eliminate uh, a far majority of what does not work. But we're constantly still trying to improve. Hence why I dislike the title pitmaster uh we call ourselves fire makers uh, a little I bit about like that background. fire maker man i like that um my my father and my mother immigrated from puerto rico my father was uh chose texas a&m university to get his phd where i was born in bryan texas um soon after he got his first job uh in houston texas but we lived in a very small town called richmond uh-huh. very very small uh, about 45 minutes outside of Houston, and he worked for Shell Chemical Company. So he's a chemist, a scientist, you know, a thinker. And um, a bunch of scientists would take him to eat barbecue locally, and he absolutely loved it. And uh, I, I remember my dad's a very conservative um, person, so he's just very quiet and very intelligent. But his excitement for this cuisine really? was something I just have never seen in him before All right. and uh, when he got excited I got excited and he took us to our first barbecue restaurant and um, and I remember going to the barbecue restaurant it's called Dozier's Barbecue in Fulchner, Texas and it was actually a gas station is it still in the there 
Hmm? Oh, yeah. It's still All right, everybody, if you're living in that part of Texas, go swing by and get yourself some brisket, right? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty fire. And uh, in the back of that grocery store slash gas station was a meat market. And part of the meat market slash deer processing, because there was a lot of hunters in Texas, there was barbecue. And I remember looking at the board and seeing that that first slice of brisket. And to me, it was mesmerizing. But it was just, I haven't seen that cuisine before. And up to that point, you know, my mother always made Puerto Rican uh-huh. food. I would eat this, that, and the other. My favorite thing at that time was candy, really. Candy <laughs> or soda pop, you know, normal things. But I remember eating the food with my hands and loving the experience that I had a relationship with this food. Like I, I put the brisket yeah. in bread with the pickles and the onions and taking my first bite, it was so authentic. And it was so connected to who I was, I immediately just fell in love with the cuisine, which a lot of people do, because something about this cuisine is different from everything else. Like we could all like Chinese food or prefer Korean food or some like Italian, some don't like Italian, but everyone loves barbecue. Everybody's got barbecue on the list. Right? Yep. There is, even the vegetarians smell it and wish it. Uh-huh. They just don't go on that fact. And at that point, right then and there, I knew I was going to be connected to this. I knew I wanted to be a barbecue man, so to speak. And it wasn't until I got probably into when I was around 13, when I truly started cooking side by side with my father and really wanting and projecting the the connection of being part of barbecue. Um, My father being immigrated from Puerto Rico, getting his PhD, having lots of brothers and one sister. That's the last thing he wanted right. me is a barbecue guy. He wanted me to be highly educated, to get a job, work 40 years, get a good 401k, retire when I'm like 60-ish. And for me, it just wasn't that path. I just, I felt there was more with barbecue and about barbecue. And there wasn't a lot of context around it. This was pre-internet. So yeah. There wasn't any barbecue books to study. Uh You literally just had to go to a barbecue restaurant and just really um, indulge yourself in the experience. Christopher, a lot of people that are tuning in from around the world, they don't get this whole barbecue culture. And I really did mean what I said. Texas is kind of the epicenter of barbecue. People take barbecue really seriously in Texas. So can you do your best to describe for somebody who's tuning in from another country why this is such a big part of the society. I mean, it's more than just a meal that you eat in Texas. Yeah, so it, it's it's really, and it's grown since the early 2000s when barbecue started to round out mm-hmm. about the golden age. That's what I, I think it started happening on 2099, somewhere in there. People started really paying attention to it. But in Texas, it's always been a cultural component of growing up in that area. Waiting in line was a norm it being craft made was a yeah. norm. They, uh, there was a huge immigration of Czech German through Texas and um, more like cowboy style cooking, live fire cooking, uh-huh. and especially with the beef in Texas. It was just oh, huge. Yeah. So with the German and Czechs, it was a lot of sausage making, using beefs, beef and the trimmings from things from the meat markets to utilize and they hung it and they smoked mm-hmm. it. So uh, it, it was just really the melting pot of how people immigrated through Texas is, is how barbecue kind of started to round out its culture. Um, cooking brisket, cooking over a live fire is the only way it was done. Uh, the one thing about Texas, which is really special, is that it's simple. Yeah, It's simply just salt and pepper and the smoke and the craft of how it's created. There isn't a lot of layering effect of sweet sauces or sweet rubs or brown sugars. It was literally um, that style of eating that that came to pass. But really, it's the connection that it makes because it started so early, such a long time back in history in Texas. And you always ate with your hands and you always had the accouchements of the the pickles and yeah. the onions and sauce on the side and sliced bread and, a, you know, a piece of cheddar and a little bit of avocado. Um, you know, it's the one thing you did every week, uh, either before or after church. It was the one thing that was at every single rodeo, 
it was the one thing, you know, in competition, barbecue uh-huh. was really big yep. and kind of grew out of Texas. But, you know, it's part of your upbringing and the respect that you have for the, the food is, is deep and rich. Other states have that same cultural experience and tie to cooking over live fire. They all have their own styles of cooking barbecue. But in Texas, it's truly a way yeah. of life. Yeah. I, I told Christopher this last time I was sitting down in, in his restaurant that I will not eat brisket anywhere else in America except for Texas and Nightdale, North Carolina. That's the only place. The only person's brisket that I will eat outside of Texas is Christopher's. Um, obviously, you are really a barbecue nerd and could talk about the science um, and the proportions for days. But I want people to hear you got good you got good fast at barbecue. So tell everybody a little bit about how this thing took off for you, almost like a rocket. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, a lot of people do see that I got good fast, but actually before that, what I did is I failed even faster. Okay. So my goal was, well, one step back, when I started cooking, there was no real internet. So there was no video to watch uh-huh. or, or timeline to follow. I literally just had to learn through failure and just kind of little by little taking pieces of what I saw at different barbecue restaurants, things I learned from different people, applying those. And the thing I did that was a little bit different was I had a high discipline. My father uh, you know, was a scientist, so he taught me a lot about the science of what was happening. But in addition, I would write and note and journalize uh-huh. every part of my cook. I would write how what the temperature was outside. I would weigh my wood, weigh my charcoal, write down the brand of meat, write down my timeline and my process. And I would do this over and over again just to learn, well, that was a terrible mistake. Yeah. Through those mistakes, I started to make my own adjustments and I had this deep connection with barbecue. So I wasn't doing it for any other purpose. Like I was just doing it because I felt compelled to do it. If that makes sense. Usually people have a goal with barbecue. There wasn't really no goal with me. I just loved that I failed. And I knew from eating at other restaurants that there was a gap there. Uh And I want to know the why, why and what am I not doing right to where I need to go? And that was my favorite part about cooking barbecue. Uh, When I was 19, Um, I cooked so much before I went on the professional barbecue circuit. I was really after I was at such a high acumen at that time with my barbecue. I really wanted to just be around people who were that, I don't want to call obsessed, but that focused on this craft. And, uh, I fell into the barbecue professional barbecue circuit for two reasons. One, so that my father and I could spend time together doing this thing. Yeah. Um, selfishly, it was for that. Secondly, it was because I finally found my community of people uh-huh. that I could be a nerd and they were also a nerd back. So it was just like, okay, good. I'm just not crazy. There's yeah. other people like me out there. Once I got into the competition circuit, I'm a, up to that point, I was a very highly competitive person when I played soccer and other things um, before barbecue. I wanted to perfect the why behind each bite because in competition barbecue, a judge only gets one bite. Out of all six entries that are served to the table, a judge gets one bite and it's double blind. So they have no idea who Uh you are. And I love that you have to tell your story in that bite. You have to tell your story of how much you practice and how hard you worked and uh-huh. the layer, layer flavors that you go through. It was that much of attention to detail that drove me even more down a path of not only understanding this is my calling, but truly understanding I want to get down to every granular level of what this barbecue thing is. Yeah. And you nailed it. Uh, needless to say, I mean, you'd started to become successful on the professional barbecue circuit and started to get recognized to the point that you're ultimately competing on the food network on some, in, on some pretty big stages, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, well, I started, uh, let's see here. I was just turning 24, 25 and, uh, I started to compete 
pretty heavily on the circuit. So I was 15, 18 contests, 18 weekends a year competing. I started racking up what they call plastic and glass or trophies, uh-huh. great championships, championships, first places. And uh, I knew that this was the path of where I wanted to go with barbecue. But then it was what turned the corners when I was 25 years old and I um, came to know who Christ. I yeah. was saved. Yeah. That year I was saved. And it turned the corner because I knew that barbecue is, is not for trophies and things and my purpose, but for his. And at that same standpoint, when I came to that realization is when things started kind of coming my way, uh, I got, I auditioned for a show called Barbecue Pitmasters. And uh, I got chosen to represent the state of North Carolina. That same year, I taught a class for a wedding to a group of guys. And one of those gentlemen in that class happened to be roommates and best friends in college with the head editor of Southern Living Magazine. Again, I have no body of work up to this point other than successful competitor and barbecue nerd. Then that head editor called me and said, hey, we'd like for you to write articles for Southern Living Magazine. I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm not a writer, but I have a bunch of knowledge I can dump on a, a writer as I started to start writing articles, I was doing this TV show, my first TV show, and uh, that was a national stage. Yeah. Uh, the John Marcus, who started Barbecue Pitmasters, was one of the producers of the Cosby Show. And a little bit of information: he's a, a Jewish guy. He doesn't eat any pork, but he loved that barbecue was becoming this popular yeah. thing. So that's when he had the idea of producing this big barbecue show. And it started gaining a lot of traction. Uh, once I was on that show, everything changed. A- absolutely everything changed for me due to the fact that now I have a platform. Yeah, people All started sudden, to recognize this, this guy's good. Recognition and responsibility. And to be honest, after the first show, it was like, wow, this is cool. I, I'm, I'm walking into contests now and I'm no longer just the team competitor. I'm the guy from Barbecue Pitmasters. Yeah. And people who never speak to me were coming up to me wanting to take pictures and talk barbecue. And again, the show was funneled more towards the barbecue minded Uh people, not the wider audience. And I love that because we would start talking about barbecue, but the conversation always went in a different direction because when they talked about, you know, what drives you to be the best and be on the show at that point. Now I'm always speaking about, well, well, Christ validates who I am. These trophies never will. And the outlook of how I started connecting with people was completely different. At that same time, the articles I was writing with Southern Living started to gain traction and popularity. And that's when I was asked to come to Time Inc., which is in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Those conversations turned into, we would love to give you a book deal. All of a sudden, I'm like, okay, okay. Uh, I have no idea how this started to come together, but now I I have to spend the next year writing chapter after chapter and creating my first barbecue cookbook. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like it was fitting together. And after the show, there wasn't a lot of PR done after the show, but after the cookbook, there was a huge PR campaign. Uh All of a sudden, I had an agent promoting me to different... I did Fox and Friends. Uh, I did the 700 Club. Uh, I started doing podcasts, TVs, interviews, local stations. And I started to realize and understand what my true message is to the barbecue community, what the new mission statement of what, who I am in barbecue and in my public persona is going to be. And, uh, then the calls just started coming in year after year. I would do a different TV show. Uh, I've done man fire food. I've done chopped. I've done a, a thrillist uh, barbecue documentary with uh-huh. my, my biggest hero, who was Ed Mitchell, uh, who still is Ed Mitchell in barbecue. I, I couldn't believe this is the guy I would get his autograph. Yeah. I would girl him every time I saw him, <laughs> but now I'm doing documentaries yeah. alongside of him. And, uh, as that platform started to grow, I started to truly, it started to 
come around in my heart that this is no longer about cooking barbecue. Yeah. The message and the purpose is bigger than that. And the pl- and Lord provides me the platform to speak his message on a bit for a bigger audience on a deeper level. Yeah. I want to talk about the secret sauce behind your barbecue in just a few minutes, but I hope people are here. And this kid who grew up with pretty severe ADHD, very severe dyslexia is now writing the Southern living ultimate book of barbecue. He is um, competing and winning. I mean, you really are um, blowing it out of the water and being very successful all along. And if we were to go back just a second ago, you were talking about how competitive you were in Texas and your parents, mom especially, takes you to play some soccer and you're you just throw everything that you got at life. So that includes on the soccer field as well, right? That's right. Yeah. I started playing soccer right when I was five years old. And again, it was a connected thing for my mother. It was her strategic outlet to waste all my energy. Yeah, Let's wear him out a little bit because he's bouncing off the walls. He ran in circles around the house for no purpose. I just knew I had to move and soccer two 45 minute halves of nonstop movement was the perfect thing. Uh, The part of Texas I lived in, we lived around Mexican communities. Mm -hmm. So I played in Mexican soccer leagues. Um, So I felt very connected to the people that I played alongside with. Uh, We share the same culture, the same, uh, you know, the same content on food and family. And um, I I give a lot. And what's funny is my first coach called me to give, to give me coaching advice when I opened my restaurant. Really? Uh, He did. And he's always been a part of who I am. That's cool. Uh, He was the first like true leader I ever had because he pushed us past what we thought we could go. And at a young age, that's really rare because you always want to give up. Like I'm tired. I don't want to do this. I'm distracted but he kept us focused and moving. And I played for him the entire time I was in Texas and we played in different competitive leagues. Uh, We played in highly, you know, big travel leagues. Uh, We trained four or five days a week. We played a tournament every single weekend. And the thing about our team is we were always the best in Texas. We won every tournament, we every practice, we were the best always. So that mentality to me was, Losing is not an option. And if we did lose, it was so such a weird feeling. I never wanted to feel it again. Yeah, that's how he kind of pushed us. Um, You know, I I ended up moving away from Texas when my father uh, lost his job. And when I moved to Florida, it was that same mentality Uh It was, you know, barbecue, it was it was playing soccer, it was being competitive. Um, In high school, I was the captain of my soccer team. So I, I took his leadership qualities and personalities and I really drove it on the field. Like we, this team might be better than us, but we have an opportunity today to yeah. beat them just by heart, just by the heart we put into our, yeah. into ourselves. And I was the guy that I, I would not only get crushed on the field because I was small for my, you know, my size, my stature. I'm Puerto Rican. We don't grow too big. <laughs> yeah. So I always had to be the toughest person on the field. Okay. And I, you know, I'd have my dislocated ankle and still be going and going and going. It's, I had this momentum that both my mother recognized and my grandfather would always recognize. He gave me, uh, he would always point out this glass bowl in the living room, which I have now in my office. And he'd always tell me, you always remind me of that bull because that bull never stops moving. <sighs> Like you can be in front of the bull, you can put whatever you want. The bull just goes right uh-huh. through it. And a lot of people who knew me, especially my mother knew that I'm a very intensely competitive person. You are the bull on the soccer field is what your grandfather was saying. That is exactly right. Yeah, that's um, exactly right. We were talking about this just before the episode started. There's this whole connection between sports and food. Every um, you know venue of sports has their own kind of unique flavors. Um, but soccer, because it's a global sport, it really has the whole. It I mean, it runs everything from Europe to Latin America to North America, all over the world. So 
Um, in the high five segment that I want us to do today, and Chris, you know, uh, Christopher, you know all about this. I want us to do like the FIFA food top five, you know, food per, or f- top five craziest foods that go along with um, soccer programs, not just FIFA, of course, but I'm just using that as kind of the, the fun name for this. So I was doing some research right before this episode started, and I was looking at those storied programs and the food that goes along with them. Did you know that in Manchester, England, there is a food item that they eat when Manchester's team is playing that is actually dates back to before the city itself? It goes back to the mid-1700s. Okay. It's called the Eccles Cake. And if you were to go watch Manchester play soccer, you're going to order one of those just because the, the cake and the, the, the soccer program are, are kind of hand in glove. They've, been, they've, they've gone together ever since Manchester you know, United began. Um, in New York City, if you were going to go watch soccer, and by the way, they take it pretty seriously up there, more than one soccer program, but uh, one of the main dishes that goes along with uh, New York City soccer is a chicken bucket. Are you aware of this? I have not heard yeah. of that. Bucket, fried chicken uh, bucket? I don't I think it's fried, yeah, um, because, you yeah. know, this is the United States, and we're going to fry everything. You know sure, that. Absolutely. I highly agree. Uh Bucket of fried chicken while you're sitting down, which that's got to be distinctly United States. Where else in the world would anybody do that? Um, In Brazil, they have beef stew um, or bean stew that Mm -hmm. goes along. And and I was trying to figure out, like, somebody has to help me figure out the connection between bean stew and Brazilian soccer because nothing is bigger. Soccer isn't bigger anywhere else in the world than Brazil. I agree. Where is the connection between bean stew and Brazilian soccer? Well, I, I don't know the connection. I, one of my best friends is from Brazil, uh-huh. so I'm big on Brazilian culture. I, need, I know they eat an obsessively huge amount of different meats in one city. Yeah. But, and I've had the bean stew before, but I, I didn't know. I just know when we watch soccer games with him, we're always grilling like 18 different types of, of steak. Yeah. But that's interesting. Well, of course, last two programs that I'll point out. Um, I really never went to a Seattle Sounders game, but I think if there's a distinctive something that goes along with the Seattle soccer program, it's got to be Starbucks coffee, right? Because it's just cold and it's outdoors and it's miserable. So everybody (laughs) in the entire, every single game ever played by um, Seattle Sounders has sold out. And I'm sure every person in the stands has some hot Starbucks coffee in their hand. But and down, a little bit jittery. Yeah, but down here in our part of the country, the Atlanta United, did you know that they have their own distinctive article of food um, that goes along with them? Hot chicken? A Bud Burger. And I've never had this because I've never been to a Atlanta United game, but apparently somehow Budweiser and Burger become one and you can okay. buy a Bud Burger at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium where Atlanta United plays. I have no idea what that tastes like, what that looks like. <laughs> Only somebody who's a barbecue nerd like you could figure that one out. Oh, I'm sure. I, I, it doesn't even sound that good. Yeah, I was, so I was thinking the same thing. a lot thing. of things I believe we eat during sports games that we regret yeah. eating after we get to our car. Exactly. After it's over with, you're like, what did I just put in my stomach? Why <laughs> did right. I do that to myself? Oh, I didn't even right. know it when I was putting it in my mouth. I was so focused on the game. Um, I, I want to talk about how wildly successful you call yourself an ambitious entrepreneur Um, But I want to talk about opening Prime Barbecue. Listen, y'all, I'm not exaggerating. I really do believe this is the greatest barbecue in the world. You, Christopher, opened this at the most challenging moment, perhaps in the last 15, 20 years. You opened a restaurant first time, and you opened it in the middle of COVID. And then this thing just blew up. So describe the uh, week or two leading up to opening day right in the middle of the COVID lockdown when nobody's supposed to be leaving and you're about to open a restaurant. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. I bet. Uh, Fun air quotes. I, 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 I want to say joyfully because there's so much that I look back at 
37 year old me and say, Oh, you're going to grow <laughs> that year. Yeah, you did. Uh, we bought the property five years prior to that, just to give you a timeline of how big the project was. Wow. Once we finally closed on the land and this is all woods, there's nothing yeah. around it yet. Um, it took us two years to build the building. That's twice as long because the steel prices went through the roof and uh -huh. I decided, hey, let's make our, our building steel. That was a terrible, uh, not, I wouldn't say mistake, but it was just a terrible thing to choose not knowing that steel will get through the roof. Uh, usually a restaurant of my magnitude can, can take about a year, nine months to a year to build because uh, we already had all the architectural plans and stuff set up. Um, it was delay after delay uh -huh. after delay. But as the building started being built and I started seeing my vision come together and all the little things I ever wanted in a barbecue restaurant to see in a barbecue restaurant was coming, I, I would, I, to be transparent, I got not only really excited, but I got very confident. Yeah. Confident to the level of thought, I'm doing something great here. Like it started to not even become about the plan and started to become about, about you, right? I'm awesome. Yeah. Look at me, everybody. You know? And I would be lying if I didn't say I, I thought that from time to time. I, I, I knew I shouldn't have, but I could see how beautifully sown the enemy makes our thoughts of things that are God's work ours. And we went and I had all my friends from Food Network lined up, all my big wigs lined uh -huh. up for the grand opening. We had the date. It was going to be May. We were going to crush it. We had a big thing with Wounded Warrior Project. We were going to do this big thing with big, we we're going to have 10th Avenue North there yeah. to play a big live show. Uh, I was doing, I was in Florida traveling with Mike Donahue of 10th Avenue North and we were evangelizing to the MLB baseball teams. Uh -huh. During spring so training, I already right? had a bunch of ball players going, hey, we're going to come, you know, spring training down in Florida. We're going to come in up for your grand opening. I thought this is going to be the coolest, best grand opening ever. I've spent my career building this relationship. It's going to be all about me and, and Prime Barbecue. And I remember getting a phone call between traveling um, to Jupiter, Florida, through an agent. I was supposed to shoot a show mm -hmm. also. Uh, at the restaurant, which I can't disclose now, but it's a big Food Network show. And they said, uh, I think we're going to hold back on the show. We're not sure yet. Something's happening with this thing called COVID, coronavirus. And I was like, okay, what's that? Yeah, what's coronavirus? Said, well, we have wind on it. A lot of the shows are starting to shut down. So I'm driving, I'm on this call, and my general manager and Justin's literally Googling what's coronavirus. <laughs> And he was like, it's some virus that's happening in China and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, ah, it'll be fine. As we finished in Florida and was flying back and we were going to open three weeks later, it was going to be awesome. And I was going to shoot the TV show. We were going to have our employees trained. And then we were going to, they called me on the flight and said, we're canceling the show. Something's happening and the talent can't travel. I said, um, sure that's cool i still got the grand opening i still got the yeah. bands coming i still got all my friends and family coming all throughout that week everything started yeah. falling i mean in one week's time every catering i had booked through the end of the year was canceling every single then the government started shutting things oh, down yeah. And my, even the construction workers to finish my building couldn't all be in the building at the same time. And immediately then and there, I realized it's never, I'm not in control. Yeah. I'm never, I was never meant to be in control. And God said, did you ever really trust me? <laughs> I'm going to shut down the world. Your years of working and building yeah. what you thought was the best thing on earth, I'm not going to allow one human being inside of it. Five years of deliberate planning and meticulously putting things into place, and then it all just disintegrates in a week's time because of this it's, thing it's called COVID. Even put, God even put a law where people <laughs> couldn't come into my restaurant yes. even if I wanted right. them to. 
Uh, all the major employees that I hired to be my kitchen managers and my managers, they all got frightened the week before we opened because they didn't know if they were going to have a job. So they decided to go a different uh, a route with their careers. So we had to start everything from scratch. So where I started sitting, on, started to sit on this throne and look down at my restaurant at the end of it, right before we opened, I was literally on my hands and knees on my face every morning going, I have no idea yeah, what's happening. Yeah. I have no idea what's going to happen. All I have is you and trusting you in your plan. And that's the posture he wanted me to be. That was the whole route he wanted me to be so that I could open this restaurant uh, May of 2020. Yeah. And we're going to talk about what it looks like today if you show up at about 1145. But before we get there, you've already mentioned the Wounded Warrior Project. I am so proud of the way that you go out of your way. Like you go above and beyond to support warriors to the point of getting yourself blown up just to make them feel like they're just to be comfortable around those wounded warriors. Tell everybody about the uh, the the experience that you had when the, 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 when you basically blew yourself up. Yeah. So, uh, again, that was a, a huge God thing. I was teaching classes that were becoming like bull and popular and everyone, when you start to become popular and noticed all these different people are like, Hey, can you teach here? Yeah. Can you do this? And I remember this coordinator tapping me and asking me, we have a group of wounded veterans, uh, wounded warrior project, and I'd like for you to teach barbecue class. I said, sure. Sounds good. Right. Uh, you're supposed to do stuff for veterans again, completely civilian, never shot a gun in my life. Uh -huh. Never. My mother never let me have a BB gun, a Nerf gun, anything. Not even All a I Nerf was gun. Was, I clap at ball games when a veteran comes out and I shake their hand and say, thank you. When my dad tells me that's to. right, that's it. Um, so I said, sure, I'll do that. They said, you know, I have to take this course and educate myself on wounded veterans before uh, talking about service dogs, um, how I approach the service dog, how I speak to a veteran, how part of their therapy speaking to me about their traumatic experience. When I took that class, I was just like, wait, wait, I, I'm, I thought we we're just, just soldiers yeah. in a class. I didn't know they would have these mental instruction manual that goes along with them. The struggles. I'm not qualified to do that. Yeah. I'm not even qualified to connect with them. I have no idea about anything with military. So I prayed about it. And my wife and I prayed about it specifically right before I left to that event and said, Lord, just help me find a way to connect with these soldiers. Like I have no common ground to interact with them uh -huh. where usually I can find a common ground with most people. When I got to that venue, it was very busy. It was a sold out class. It was like 45 students. And, uh, someone was hosting it for me. They had all these gas hog cookers. I said, put these baked beans on these gas hog cookers. And then I was preparing for the class. The first soldier I ever met that came to the class had a service dog and uh, he got some type of shrapnel in his face. So they had to move his nose to the side of uh -huh. his face. Very intense. And uh, the first thing he says is you want to talk about my face. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? There's nothing. <laughs> What's wrong with your face? I didn't yeah. notice. And he explained and told me the story. And again, it's part of their therapy to recognize this, to own it and to talk about it. So I was like, wow, uh, I am not ready. I remember saying, I am not ready. I'm not ready. Please let me connect somehow. So we start walking around the venue and he, he points at the hot cooker. The beans are on. And he's like, Hey, this is cool. Tell me about the hot cooker. I was like, finally yeah. something I can be an expert and help them feel comfortable. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm a barbecue expert. Let me explain this hot cooker. So I started going over why it's built this way, how it's gas, how it's different if it's wood. And he was just like, oh, that's really cool. I'm really excited about the class. As he turned away, I decided to check the beans. I remember, so I'm super dyslexic. So if my mind's on one thing, uh -huh. it can't be on another. I remember my forearm feeling an intense amount of heat. Like, I remember my body telling me that, but I went ahead and opened the cooker anyway. The pilot light went out, 
and it was just, or the, the flame went out. So it was filling with gas and it still had fire inside of it. So when I opened it, it was just a giant metal bomb and it completely exploded. And all I remember is seeing the waves and seeing a white flash and that's it. Yeah. When I say got blown up, you really did get blown up. I did. Up. I did. I lost all the skin on this arm, which is, it looks crazy. It gets really pink during the summer. Yeah. Sometimes I wear a sleeve during events. Uh, I lost my cool, some of my cool hair. I lost. It's still my pretty eyebrow. cool, though. Let's just be honest. It's still pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. It, well, it didn't look cool after that yeah. explosion. Um, but I just remember waking up, and the first thing I'm seeing is this person standing over me. And he, he's just talking to me like normal. And I started speaking back to him. I think he was asking about the class. He's really excited about the class. And I remember looking at him going, why am I on the ground? Right. And he was like, Oh, you're fine. You know, you just wanted to rest. He was telling me I was, I was resting. I'm like, but I don't rest. I don't take naps. And I'm wondering why I'm lying down. When I started speaking to him, I noticed how much my throat hurt Uh because I inhaled the fire and it burned my esophagus. Wow. Not only did it burn my esophagus, but it burned all my nose hairs. So I could taste the draining of my hair going down my throat. So as I spoke, I tasted like a barbecued flavor. And I'm just like so confused. And he's keeping me calm this entire time, telling me that I'm resting and I'm in shock. So I don't feel my arm all burned or my face burned or my esophagus. I just kept on explaining to him my difficulty, but he kept me calm the entire Uh time. It wasn't until the ambulance or the paramedics arrived that I saw the utter disgust and fear in their face. face, Like, Ooh, this dude is messed up. What is wrong with y'all? And he was explaining like, calm down. He's fine. Let's get him on a stretcher. I'm like, what do you mean a stretcher? Right at that moment, they put morphine in me Uh immediately. And going from confused, not what's not knowing what's going on to a morphine state was the craziest drug I've ever, I mean, everything was really slow and shuddery and I'm on the stretcher. And I I remember my brain trying to say, looking around going, what's going on? Mm -hmm. What happened to you? and being rushed to the hospital and going to the burn unit and the morphine kind of still in me, but the doctors explaining to me what's going to happen for the next six months, how bad I was burned. They were scraping parts of my arm. They were bandaging it. My right hand guy, Mr. Albert, who's a fireman, they were explaining to him how to clean my wound, how it needs to be cleaned three times a day. And then honestly, I don't remember too much past after that because I woke up in my bed. Um, so again, I'm still drugged up at this point in my bed and Mr. Albert is sitting right beside Uh me in bed. So it's like, okay, something bad happened. And he's explaining to me what happened. And I'm like, wow, that is crazy. I'm looking down at my arm. I'm recognizing that I'm completely bandaged up. And he's like, I need to clean you in about an hour and explain what he's going to do. I asked a simple question. Where's my wife? Where's Marsha? And he said, well, Marsha can't see you right now. And I was like, why can't she see me right now? Mm -hmm. My wife was so traumatized by what happened to me that she couldn't even face me and comfort me. And that was one of the worst parts about this whole experience was, and even thinking of a soldier that happening to them in a different country, uh-huh. them leaving as the husband, father, leader, and coming back as a whole different human being. I mean, I got to go right home. I didn't have to be in a hospital in a different country and go through the things and have my wife told, like, I just showed up and I was comforted by my friends and family. And that was weird. And again, something that soldiers go through that I can connect with, because I know that feeling like, uh, why aren't you, you're, you're supposed to be here beside me. And, uh, that was a little tough and cleaning the wound was extremely terrible. Just the air, when the wrappings came off the air itself with all my nerves exposed Mm. was just excruciating. And then on top of that, he had to wipe Silvadine all over uh-huh. it. 
clean it. And that was three times a day. And, you know, I don't, I don't curse, but during those times, I, something slipped that I wasn't, you know, Mr. Albert's like, it's okay. Be angry. Yeah. Um, now during that time of rest, I'm burned. I'm in my bed. My wife doesn't want to see me. The doorbell would ring and Mr. Albert would come in and, uh, a different soldier from that class uh-huh. would come by and visit me, check up on how I am, sometimes kneel and sit and pray with me beside my bed. I have never known what true intense unity looks like. Yeah. Up to that point, I'm always tight with my family or good friends with my friends, but there's always a limitation to that if it can inconveniences them in any way, like I still have someone in my family that owes me money and we see each other and we smile and we hug, Uh but a unit will always come through. Yeah. They don't owe each other anything. They're just bonded through their experience. And that is the most intense coveted thing I felt from a human side ever in my life. And I knew right then and there, that I am bound to these soldiers. I, I don't, they don't need anything from me. I am physically mm-hmm. and by experience bound to how they feel. The God had to put me in their eyes and their situation here in the States so that when I go teach them, I'm teaching them knowing what they went through at some standpoint. So uh, I dedicated my life since that yeah. day to my veterans. Uh, I've taught wounded warrior project classes up and down the East coast. They're always sold out. And I lead with that story a lot of the time to know, let them know, like, I know the depths of how your unity looks, but also the depths of what layers of pain you go yeah. through to do what you love to do. And it's to service. Like I blew myself up doing the one thing I love, doing the one thing I knew I had to do. And even though those things happened, it was still excruciating. Yeah. And for, for military, they do it because they love their country. They want to protect their families. And that is part of the gig. Yeah. You know, and I just know that a soldier, I never once asked, and I say this a lot to civilians, we never once had to get up and go to a soldier's house and knock on his door when they were 18 uh-huh. and say, Hey, uh, I want to go to college and open this business and do these things. I need you to go fight a war for me. Yeah. Okay. I need you to go through all these things for me. Cause this is what I want to do. I never had to do that at the same standpoint, a soldier is not going to come back from war and say, Hey, I did all these things. I sacrificed my body, myself, Mm -hmm. my time, and my family to protect the things that you want to do. I need you to validate and honor me. A soldier's never going to ask for anything. I know from 100% fact that it is our duty as a civilian to serve our military with every ounce of everything we have. No matter what your opinion is on the military, they still give you the opportunity here in this country to have the things that we have. I could be the best barbecuer on earth. I could be the best business person on earth, but nothing matters if I don't have opportunity. Right. Right. If I went and bought the land and built the building and run the hours I I want, none of that exists in another country. Mm -hmm. And that comes with that sacrifice. But uh, anyway, I, I can go deep into it, but that's my, my blow up story. Yeah. And that's the reason why God made it specifically clear that I am to live this life serving my military and more than that, educating the civilian on the sacrifice and the duty that we have as civilians to our military. Yeah. And you do it so well, Christopher, you have given so much, you have worked so much, you have, um, um, served the military that serve you so well. But I think you know this, the very first time that I met you, I don't know that I have ever been around a civilian that was as effortless and as easy and at, um, and so, uh, uh, comfortable around the military 
as I have been around you. And I always just assume this guy has to have a lot of military experience because it's just totally natural for him. The first time I met you, you opened up your restaurant at a time that it wasn't supposed to be open just to serve the military community. And man, it is amazing what you continue to do and how you other uh, entrepreneurs and leaders are catching on to that same vision. Man, I, I can't tell you how much, uh, how impressive that is to me. Um, with just a few minutes left, though, I want to point paint the picture. If you were to go to Christopher's restaurant today, well, let's just be honest. Some days, the police, the local police have to come out and have to block the roads because the line is quite literally down the street and around the corner waiting for his restaurant to open. You sell out within a few hours. Everybody knows if you don't get there 45 minutes or an hour early, you're not going to eat. And I rarely, I never go out of my way to get a meal, but I will to go to your restaurant just because you have turned food, your passion into art. And when you go into the restaurant, every part of the restaurant itself, but more importantly, what happens behind the counter, it is all done with a, uh, with so much passion and so much energy that what you put on the plate is not a meal. You really put your heart on the plate. You serve art to people when they come in the door. And I think a lot of people around the world are starting to notice. So uh, if you're in that part of North Carolina and you're interested in some barbecue, you better get in line early or else you're not going to eat at Prime Barbecue in Nightdale, uh, North Carolina. But uh, here's how I want to wrap up. Um, man, I know you, you know me. So let's just talk about the secret sauce of that uh, restaurant because it's not the um, it's not just how good the food is. It is exceptional food. I haven't tasted better barbecue anywhere, but it's not just the food. There's something else that makes that place special. And I'm just going to put the ball on the tee and let you hit it from there. Like, what is it that makes you and that restaurant so special to people who walk in the door that don't share our faith? Sure. Uh, well, a lot of people come in just for a meal. A lot of people come in to meet me because they've seen me on TV. A lot of people want to hear the story of success and I'm successful because I'm great and I've worked and pushed and that's what they want to hear. The thing I share most about them and the one thing that is the best of who I am has nothing to do with barbecue. I hope when people I are was, hearing that. The thing that working, is most significant is not barbecue. Keep going, man. It, it's not. It, it's, I, I always start and lead with barbecue, meaning that's what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. And then I get to, now do you want to know the secret behind my barbecue? It has nothing to do with barbecue. It has to do with, a, with someone I met in my restaurant that showed me that you can live with the most tremendous amount of joy and still do the simplest things yeah. in life. Through that relationship, um, I, I met this young man at a restaurant that I was running and he actually didn't like him for a long time due to the fact that he was too joyful for his position. Yeah. I feel that the, I thought that the joy came from being satisfied of the things of this world and having the influence to drive and be your own boss and have your own freedom. But he, he didn't have all, any of that to find that joy. Um, when we became friends, he never once spoke about Christ with me. He never once threw the Bible at me. All he did was live by an example of what Christ's love looked like in his heart uh -huh. and in his life. I was really drawn to who he was because he thought differently. He reacted differently. And most importantly, he loved just because. And uh, through our conversations, through our time together, one day in my parents' garage, looking through my old college stuff, I was cleaning it out for my parents, was the first time in my life that I felt the weight of my sin. You know, I, I lived my life thinking if I achieved great things and greatness and lots of awards 
and the things I'm passionate about that I felt called to do in this one life I have, that that would be enough. But what always kept me weighted down on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute basis was the the sin I carried on my Uh shoulders. When I realized what that the weight of that sin looked like, I realized at the same time how much Christ loves me, and he picked that up off my shoulders and he nailed it to a cross. That moment allowed me to stand up and truly live out my purpose because I wasn't weighted down by the things of this world, by, by needing to be enough for others, right. needing to be enough for my judges, for my uh, you know people that were in business with mm-hmm. me. Um, and I, and I realized that the true secret is being validated without the trophies, being loved and validated without the recognition, being loved and validated without needing to be enough for someone else. When he started to disciple me, he showed me a verse. It was Psalm 107, 9, which I built Prime Barbecue off of. It says, for he satisfies the longing soul uh-huh. and the hungry soul he fills with good things. I had that in my pit room. And I used the, the phrase stay hungry in my restaurant because my entire life was that first word in that verse is being satisfied. Yeah. Every day I ask myself, what do I need, Christopher, to be happy? Who needs to validate me? How much money do uh-huh. I need to make? And I realized no matter how much I focused on that first word, I'm always going to see that second word, which is my favorite word in the Bible, and it's the word longing. Mm-hmm. Longing is something we don't share with people. Those are the things we think of at night or on the long drive or in the shower that we keep secret yeah. because someone will see our transparency of our hearts. You see, the one relationship where you can share your longing and have it completely fulfilled is with Christ. Uh-huh. I shared my longing with him. That coveted relationship was so deep that I could share every dark part of my heart and he would fill it with not only himself and the Holy Spirit, but he would take those dark parts and nail them to a cross and said, they no longer yeah. are in charge. When I built Prime Barbecue, I realized that I've spent my entire life crafting this perfect meal and wanting it to be this perfect experience and working so hard on all these details and realizing that they could tell me this is the most perfect meal I've ever had, or this is the most perfect restaurant I've ever been in, or you serve me in this most perfect way, but I'm only satisfying them with the things of this Uh world. I want to fill them and to help them recognize their longing for past that meal. And I had this platform to do it. All these people line up and most business owners would look at it and say, look at it's all insane. this profit, yeah. look at all these people, look how amazing I am. I can rest, I'm gonna go have a cappuccino in my office <laughs> when my employees do my thing, I'm just gonna count my money. But I already knew previous to even opening the restaurant, the enemies lie is only going to make me sit on a throne that I never deserved to sit on in the first place. Those people in line are opportunities and souls and real people Christ loves and values and wants to know and just connect with. And I am that person Mm -hmm. to help connect them to him through my food, through my experiences. This restaurant has to be more than just mine and it will always be his all the souls in standing line are his and the only way i can truly build profit is by connecting and finding and winning those souls yeah and i have to do it through the food little by little building the relationship if you see me in the restaurant i'm never cutting i'm never working the pits i'm not doing the things that i love to do because it is no longer about that I am at each table telling my story, Mm -hmm. talking about the food, building relationships solely a hundred percent for the purpose of winning their souls for Christ, because their eternity is always going to mean everything to me more than that food on that table that will temporarily satisfy them. 
we have to focus on people's eternities. Forever is a long time. Yeah. And to not experience the love and validation I've experienced with Christ, it, it's the most important part of who I am in my life. I will never forget that utter moment when he took my sin and nailed it to that cross mm -hmm. and helped me walk finally in validation. Nothing will be bigger than that. There will be no brisket I will ever cook that will be more perfect than that moment. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell people every single day, every single meal, every single second about that moment in my life. Christopher, you um, inspire me. Every time I talk to you, when I sit down in your restaurant, when you and I connect over the phone or like this in this podcast, you inspire me because of how you just naturally share your example, tell your story and help other people who are passing through your restaurant learn what it really means to stay hungry, hungry for the things that are of eternal significance, hungry right. for the one thing that will satisfy you at the soul level. And I wish millions of other business owners understood what you understand, how much of an eternal difference you can make just getting up and doing what God has called you to do and doing it for his glory. So Man, you inspire me. Every time we talk, you inspire me. Thanks, Jeff. I wish I had more time to talk to you about Marsha, about those five amazing children that you have, about all that's going on. But man, thank you for carving out some time right in the middle of the busiest part of your day at lunchtime, spending this time with me on this uh, episode of Unbeatable. Would you just leave people with one piece of advice who are hearing your story and they're getting really fired up like I do? Can you just leave them with one thought um, when we, as we wrap up? Here, Jeff, I'd like to talk to two different people. Sure. If we could. Uh, the first is people who don't know Christ. Know that when you dine at his restaurant, your name is always on the reservation mm -hmm. list. It will be there waiting for you. Every single bite of that meal will be the deepest, richest, most fulfilling experience of your life. And you will never forget it. My favorite part of that meal and dining at that restaurant is when the bill comes and it says paid in full. Uh -huh. Your job is to get up and go enjoy being full. My favorite part about that experience of eating in the restaurant is the next day when you're still full and you can get up and just go another day and another day. Know that Christ fills you and sustains you unlike everything else of right. this world that temporarily satisfies you. Always remember that. To the people who do know Christ and follow him and call him Lord of their life, your vocation will always be your ministry. Mm -hmm. No matter what you are or what you do or what circumstances you're in, Christ always gives you the platform, the opportunity, and most importantly, the Holy Spirit to speak into people's lives. No matter what you do every single day, trying to drive profits or trying to build something, remember his kingdom is the one thing that can be filled right. when you leave this world. The money you fill temporarily here, you can't take with you, but those people's souls you can. Right. Focus on that each and every day at your vocation. If you have problems doing it, there are people in your church are qualified to help you create a strategic value in your vocation to build his kingdom up. Yeah. Amazing, man. Tell everybody as we close, if they want to find out about the best barbecue in the world, where do they go on the internet to find about uh, prime barbecue? Sure. Uh, we're located in Nightdale, North Carolina, which is east of Raleigh. Uh, you can find us on prime-bbq.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, there's a separate entity, which is Barbecue Nerd. Uh -huh. uh, you can find me on both Instagram and Facebook. And that dives a little bit deeper into uh, my everyday life with barbecue. And most importantly, my relationship with Christ. Yeah. So there's two different sides to the business and the faith and how they intertwine together. And we'll give you, if you're driving right now, we'll give you links on this episode in the notes to Prime Dash Barbecue and to Barbecue Nerd. Man, thank you for joining me today, Christopher. It's great to connect with you, even over Zoom. Can't wait to see you again in person in your restaurant soon. 
I'll get that brisket ready for All you. All right. Sounds good, buddy. Hey, I wish I could help you get this mental image of what it looked like when he was burned from his waist to the top of his head after this barbecue explosion while Christopher was trying to serve veterans. This guy didn't let a difficulty like that hold him back. He gives sacrificially to this day, and he's created one of the greatest barbecue environments I've ever seen in my life. I hope you've been encouraged by this episode. And by the way, if you found our podcast for the first time, why don't you follow us on social media? Just go to at unbeatable podcast on your favorite social media platform. If you've been listening and you like what you're hearing, would you rate us on your favorite podcast platform and tell everybody what you think about this? And I just want to challenge you as we get ready to leave. Would you take Christopher's advice and stay hungry? And I mean hungry for the one thing that will keep you satisfied months years, even for eternity. Thanks for joining me on this episode. See you next time on Unbeatable.